It is good to uh, see everyone again. Uh, I hope uh, you had a great Christmas and a great uh, New Year. Um, <clears throat> in fact, every every New Year's uh, New Year, I have this moment uh, where I panic about uh, what um, what I should uh, call uh, or how I should express Happy. New Year or New Year. So I decided I would take a little bit of a poll here uh, to to get uh, from you all who uh, are no doubt uh, smarter than me. Uh, When you greet somebody at the beginning of a year, is it Happy New Year, Happy New Year's, or Happy New Year's with the apostrophe? If you you had to, to vote on the appropriate greeting for the new year, uh, what would be your, your guess? Let me see the hands for uh, Happy New Year. All right? So this is unanimous, uh, except Alec, you're, you're for sure in. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I always have this moment where I'm like, is it New Year's? And this I did a little bit of research, and you guys are all already smarter than I am, but just to uh, give us all a little bit of a grammar lesson. At the beginning of the year, uh, you say Happy New Year. That's the, that's the way you greet someone. However, uh, if you want to tell someone uh, that you hope they had a good New Year's, as in New Year's Day or New Year's Eve, that's when you use the apostrophe. Um, and if you ever think about using Happy New Year's, uh, just don't. That's what uh, dictionary.com said. Um, uh, however, I was, I was talking to uh, some folks about this beforehand, and somebody asked me, well, what if you want to wish somebody like multiple years of Happy New Year's? And I, I guess that would be the only scenario. If you said Happy New Year, and I hope you have many more Happy New Year's ahead of you, that would be the only time that you could use uh, the plural. So uh, either way, uh, Happy New Year, and uh, I, I hope that you did have a good New Year's. Um, and uh, I'm excited about the year and the singular uh, that is ahead of us. But one of the things I love about um, just the, this kind of window between Christmas and New Year's Eve and the beginning of a new year is the opportunity to, to refocus, uh, to uh, kind of regather um, all that, uh, whether it's in my own mind or my own uh, personal goals or desires or, uh, or even just... Uh, kind of recalibrating as a, as a family, kind of where we've been and where we're headed. The new year provides this opportunity for us to refocus. And so in our lives personally, we do this with our finances, uh, our relationships, family, work, school. Maybe you set goals or resolutions, whatever you call them. This is uh, the time to do it. And next week is the time to drop them. But um, <clears throat> this is the time to, to refocus, right? To, to put... Uh, uh, a laser focus on what's ahead of us. And I want to do that over the next three weeks for us corporately as well. And obviously, as we talk about uh, where we are going as Treasuring Christ Church, that has implications for us personally and what that means uh, in our lives. And so over the next three, three weeks, we're going to really focus in and, and refocus, if you will, ourselves on our mission as a church. Uh, what we are committed to and what we're committed to pursuing and seeking. And as I began to think about how to do that and what that would look like, um, these next three weeks we'll look at three different passages um, rather than maybe walking through a book. But uh, this will provide us an opportunity to look at the work that God is doing in three different cities, three different contexts, and try to 
to, to examine what it would look like for us to apply that uh, here in our city, in our context. So uh, we'll be looking at the church in Antioch from Acts 11 today. We'll be looking at exiled Israel and Babylon from Jeremiah chapter 29. And we'll be looking at the church in Philippi from Philippians chapter 1. And, and my desire is as we look at these three different churches or, or groups of God's people in three different cities, three different contexts, that we'll see one compelling vision of God's mission being fleshed out in three different places. And, and the aim would be to apply what God is doing in the scriptures in these cities uh, to our city, to, to our context, to what God is doing here, both in our city within Ann Arbor and the greater Ann Arbor area, as well as the campus that's at the center of the city. And so at Treasuring Christ, our mission uh, that, that we talk about often, and I want to, to be before you uh, and for you to know and embrace, is to, to be a church that multiplies disciples, who delight in, declare, and display the gospel in all of life and for the good of Ann Arbor. Our mission is kind of uh, us planting our flag and saying, this is what we are about. Uh, this is what defines us and what shapes how we do, why we do what we do, and what we're committed to pursuing. Uh, and at the heart of it is this call to, to multiply disciples, to make disciples, as Jesus said uh, at the end of the Gospel of Matthew in, in a text that's known as the Great Commission. He called his disciples and, and, and those who would follow after them, the church that would follow after, to make disciples, uh, to, to help people know and follow Jesus. And that's what we are committed to. And we fleshed out what we think that looks like. There's a lot of different ways that you could say this. And, and this doesn't encompass everything, but it, it does a good job of capturing most of it to say, we want to see people who follow Jesus delight in, declare, and display the gospel. That the belief is, as God's people, we were made to delight in God. We we're made to treasure Jesus above everything. That's what should be the testimony and the anthem of every believer's life. And out of that flows a, a life of making Christ known in word and deed, declaring and displaying the gospel. And it's not just something we fit into a category of Sunday morning, but it's something that permeates all of our life. And we believe that as we do it, we'll be a people that seeks the good of our city, not only meeting physical needs, but pointing to the answer for the ultimate spiritual need, which is the hope that's found in Jesus. And when I think about what God is doing in our city and why God has placed us where he's placed us, I, I think it's so important for us not to, to miss, though we are familiar with where we live, what God has done in a city that in some ways, what it lacks for size, it makes up for in the significance and the amount of people that come through this place every four to six years. Ann Arbor is not the biggest city in North America. It's not the biggest city in Michigan. It's only 120,000. If we all uh, crammed in, we could probably fit our whole city in the stadium, right? Uh, that's, uh, that's right here in Ann Arbor. It's, it's this small city or big town, however you want to look at it. But God has brought to this place the nations and the next generation. Over 17% of the population of Ann Arbor is born outside of the United States. Every four to six years, God brings through Ann Arbor approximately 45,000 new college students and graduates. Some of those will stay. Many of them who have come from all over the world will be sent out, not by the church, but by the university, the biggest sending organization in Ann Arbor 
that will send people all over the world to do all kinds of things. And I believe God's called us to this place to be a part of seeing people treasure Jesus, coming to know Him as their Lord and Savior, being equipped to be disciples and disciple makers and being sent out, not only by a university, but by a church, being sent to be on mission wherever God is calling them. I've said before, and, and it's worth saying again, we want to be a church that every, every, so, every four to six years as people come and go, we don't want to be a church that just says bye to people every four to six years, but that we would be a church that sends people every four to six years into the callings uh, that God has given them. Um, we're not just talking about the mission field or church planning, but that's vital to who we are, but, but believing that when God calls people out from among us, we want, to, we want to bless and send them and call them to go wherever they're going, to do whatever work God is calling them to do, to do it unto Him and for His glory, for the sake of advancing the gospel wherever God is taking them. And I think if we do this, if we are committed to carrying out our mission of multiplying disciples who look like this and and do it in all of life and for the good of Ann Arbor, if we do that, if that's what we're committed to, we will see God do a work of seeing Jesus treasured and his church established. And those two things go together. When people begin to treasure Jesus and they come to know him as their Lord and Savior, churches are formed. Churches are strengthened. Churches are planted and revitalized. If we do this, we'll see this take place, permeating from Ann Arbor throughout southeast Michigan, across North America, and to the ends of the earth. It's what, it's what Jesus said to his disciples at his resurrection. It's what we are committed to today. And, and in so many ways, though, I'm, I'm reminded as I think about uh, a church's mission statement. A mission statement really is just words unless it's embodied by the people who identify with the church. So what does it look like for us to really do this together, really be a people who multiply disciples, who delight in, declare, and display the gospel in all of life and for the good of Ann Arbor? And, and really that question is what's driving us in these next three weeks as we refocus on our mission and, and what it looks like for us to be about God's mission here in Ann Arbor and at Treasuring Christ. So uh, pray with me before we turn uh, and look at Acts 11. Um, And let me ask the Lord to to lead us in this time. Father, we uh, come to you now. And uh, as we've um, already said this morning, God, you are worthy. You're worthy of our worship. Uh, God, we are needy. We need you. We need you to, to meet us where we are at. We wouldn't come to you if you didn't first come to us. God, we need you to open our minds and our eyes and our hearts to hear from your word. God, by your spirit, would you enable us to, to receive what your word has to say? Would you, uh, would you move in us, God, to, to help us to understand the mission that you've called us to? Uh, to, uh, to not just know the words, but to embody it in our lives. Um, and would you be pleased, God, to use us as a small expression of your kingdom? Would you be pleased to use us for the sake of your glory here in Ann Arbor and around the world. Now, Lord, we, we give you this time. We ask now that you move among us, that you would use my preaching, not as a demonstration uh, of the wisdom of man, but as a demonstration of the power of your spirit. Lord, we love you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's turn to Acts 11, uh, verses 19 through 30. 
Now, I said earlier, we're going to look at three different passages over the next three weeks and focus in on what God is doing within these different cities, within these different places, and ask God to help us to move from, uh, as the case is today, from Antioch to Ann Arbor. Uh, how, how can we work out the mission of God that we see uh, taking place at the church in Antioch? How can we do that uh, faithfully here in Ann Arbor? And, and the church in Antioch is, uh, is a fitting place for us to start because they are a church plant. And we're, we're catching the description here in the book of Acts of how the church at Antioch comes to be in their early uh, year, uh, really their first year as a church plant. Um, Antioch is a significant city in the Roman Empire. Uh, it's considered the uh, kind of the third city uh, of Rome next to the capital Rome and, and Alexandria. Uh, in and of itself, it was the capital of the province of Syria. So it's this significant city. It has about 500,000 people, which, um, as, as we talked about Ann Arbor size earlier, that's you know, four times as big as Ann Arbor. Not as big, of course, as our major cities today. But in Rome, this is a massive city. There aren't many cities in the world at this time this large. And it's a city that's multicultural, a cosmopolitan city, if you will. Some estimate there are at least 18 different ethnic groups represented in the city, including a large Jewish population. Uh, And and so you have this significant city, and and God is at work here establishing a church. Um, And and I want us to just read, uh, starting in verse 19, and what I'm going to do is, is just kind of give an overview of how the church at Antioch becomes uh, established and then how it begins to grow and, and what takes place through it. And then I want to unpack uh, some truths that, that flow from this passage that I hope will uh, really permeate who we are as a church in this coming year. So let's look at verse 19 from Acts chapter 11. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen starts back in chapter 7, if you remember that. These unnamed Christians travel, some as far as Phoenicia, which is the coastline uh, on Israel, in Israel, uh, and then some go over uh, to, to the island area of Cyprus, and then some go north towards Antioch. And as they go, they speak the word to no one except the Jews. Speaking the word references the preaching of the gospel. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, those who are Greek-speaking, non-Jewish people, and they preached the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas and Antioch to, Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, in those days, the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of the prophets, who was named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. And this took place in the days of of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, would send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders there at the church of Jerusalem by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So what you have in these 
brief, this brief description is, is Antioch being established and, and then an early portrait of, of how the church begins to grow and how God is, is using them. So what, what happens uh, in, in the history of the church in the book of Acts is uh, after the resurrection and, and Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples and there are Jews from all over the nations that have gathered in Jerusalem. And God moves and thousands come to faith in Christ and the church at Jerusalem is established. And you think about uh, what, what would happen if thousands of people come to know Christ and you have this church that's established, all the needs and all the teaching and all the care. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of things going on. And, and the, the church at Jerusalem is trying to meet needs among themselves. They're gathering together, teaching the scriptures. They're taking the Lord's Supper. There are people getting baptized. There's, there's conflicts that arise in the church. Uh, between those who are Jewish background, Hebrew background, and Greek background, and and they're trying to work through it all and give some organization. So they're, they're you got the apostles, but then there these, these elders or pastors in the Church of Jerusalem, plus deacons who are serving. Uh, you see God do this great work in establishing the church at Jerusalem, and early on. Uh, Christianity and Judaism kind of coexist alongside one another. Jesus was Jewish, and he's calling those who are Jewish to put their faith in him as the promised Messiah. And so even according to the Roman Empire, Christians are kind of this subset of Judaism at the time. Um, And so you have Christians like Saul, who comes to faith in Christ, who's going into the synagogues where the Jews are gathering, and he's, he's pleading with them from the Old Testament Scripture saying, Jesus, whom you know, who walked among us, who was crucified on the cross, and three days later was raised from the dead, this man is the Messiah promised in the Scriptures. And people are coming to faith in Christ. But then something changes, and there's a great move of persecution. We see it starting with Stephen, who's doing the same kind of thing that Saul would do later on. Stephen was the first one. To do it. He was one of the seven that was appointed uh, when there was a conflict between the Hebrew and the Greek uh, people in the church. And Stephen is stoned to death for proclaiming Jesus by the religious leaders, Jewish authorities of the time. And a persecution breaks out. And if you look in Acts 8 um, in, in verses 1 and 2, you, you begin to see what takes place. It says that as this persecution arose... The believers were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So the apostles stay put in Jerusalem, whether they're hiding or, or maybe uh, there's, a, um, there's less of, a, uh, of an attack against them because of their prominence and their significance. Uh, but nonetheless, the church is going to expand, not by the qualified leaders who walked with Jesus his whole life and were commissioned by Jesus to make disciples, but by unnamed Christians who are scattered because of persecution. And that's exactly what happens when we get to chapter 11. We see that some of those unnamed Christians who are scattered come to Antioch. It's not the apostles, but these unnamed Christians who come to Antioch. And, and it says that some of the people who came to Antioch come and they're only preaching the gospel to the Jews. Just like we have seen Stephen and Saul do, they were going into the synagogue and and preaching the gospel and reasoning with the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior and uh, that they should put their trust in him. Um, But something else happens. It says that there are some men from uh, from Cyprus and Cyrene. And so uh, we know that there were there were already Jews in these areas because they come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. But 
apparently the gospel uh, has, has either reached these men who are from Cyprus and Cyrene. So you have this islander and, and most likely uh, and North African who uh, have come to faith in Christ, perhaps in Jerusalem, and have been pushed out because of the persecution. And they come to Antioch. And these believers begin speaking not just to the Jews, but to the Hellenists, a term that, that could refer to Greek-speaking Jews, but most likely refers to those who were Greek-speaking and were non-Jewish. So what's happening here is these believers who have experienced persecution or being pushed out from Jerusalem come to this new place and they intentionally, this doesn't happen by accident, they intentionally pursue those who are ethnically and religiously different than them and they preach the Lord Jesus. Now, this is consistent with the message that we've seen throughout the scripture. It says in Acts uh, chapter 2 that Jesus um, is both Lord and Christ. So this language isn't unique, but when you look at the way the apostles preached to primarily Jewish audiences, they, they primarily were trying to show them from the scriptures that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the promised Christ. But here it says they're preaching the Lord Jesus. It's an uh, interesting point. They're, they're coming to people who don't believe the Bible, and they're preaching in a way that would make sense to them. At the time, many within uh, the, the kind of mystery cults within Rome, uh, the, the goddesses and the gods of the time, there was this idea of, of Lord, uh, that, that, that there, there would be one that would be worshipped. And, and so they come proclaiming Jesus as Lord. The, the God that you seek is, is Jesus, crucified and risen from the dead. So they come intentionally pursuing people who are different than them and intentionally trying to communicate the gospel in a way that would be understood by them. And God blesses their work. It says that as they share the gospel, the hand of the Lord was with them, verse 21, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. It'll also say later on after, um, after Barnabas is teaching the church that there are many more people who are added to the Lord. So God is blessing this work of evangelism. The gospels preach, people believe, and a new church is established. So when these unnamed Christians rolled into Antioch, there's no gathering of Christians They preach the gospel, people believe, and then there's a church. A church is established. And this church begins to grow. Now, notice the connection between the church at Jerusalem and the church here at Antioch. The church in Jerusalem hears what's taking place, and they want to send somebody to see what God is doing. Not that it's not official until they see it, but uh, they, they exercise great influence and significance as the church at Jerusalem and as the apostles. And so they send Barnabas who uh, comes and, and checks in on what God's doing. He says he's, he's rejoicing at the grace of God that's evident here at the church at Antioch. And, uh, and he stays there and he teaches the word. And he encourages them. He, he tells them, verse, verse 22 or verse 23, uh, he exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, faithfulness that produces endurance. He's teaching them from the scriptures, helping them to, to grow and be established. And, um, and as they are growing in the word, it says that more people are added to them. So not only are they growing spiritually, but they're growing through their witness, not just by the initial believers who came to Antioch, but by those who came to know Christ at Antioch are, are growing spiritually and reaching others with the gospel. And this transformation is so noticeable 
that followers of Jesus first become known as Christians in Antioch. And it's really uh, a, a helpful thought here. It's not a derogatory thing. It literally is little Christs. These people who identify with Christ are called Christians. It, it shows us that this is actually what the heart of discipleship is about. To be called a Christian means that your life is reflective of and shaped by the person and the work of Jesus. To, to be called a Christian means your life is, is reflective of and shaped by the person and work of Jesus. You've put your trust in him. You're listening to his word. You're seeking to conform your life to, to look more like who he says you should look like. And, and this so takes place at the church at Antioch that they get a new name, Christian. They're so identified with Jesus. Their transformation is so evident that people see it. And it takes place. And, and, and people notice what's taking place. And the church at Antioch, uh, if you were to flip over to chapter 13, you'll see that the church at Antioch is it's in this multicultural city, but the church actually becomes something that's hasn't been seen, and it becomes a multicultural group in and of itself. If you look in Acts chapter 13, you have uh, the, the leaders who uh, kind of function almost as a, a board of, of leaders, of elders of sorts, or prophets and, and teachers, it says. Barnabas is one of them who's from, uh, you know, who's coming from the church of Jerusalem to check on what God is doing uh, at, at Antioch. Simon, who is called Niger, uh, is, is, an, is an African. Lucius of Cyrene, who's a North African. Manian, who is a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, who is uh, most likely a well-off, well-to-do, came from a well-to-do family if he's within the court of the Herod of Tetrarch. And then Saul, who's a Jew amongst Jews, uh, who has been converted, uh, a terrorist of sorts, who went around killing Christians, who's now come to know Christ, uh, that... Barnabas is crazy enough to go get from Tarsus to bring to the church at Antioch to be their teacher. Um, you got this group of diverse leaders in the church and in a diverse church. When you think about what made Christianity grow in the first century, there's a, a church historian um, <clears throat> who, who's, who describes uh, the, the growth of the church in this way. He says the, the, one of the reasons of Christianity's success and growth was because of its inclusiveness and practice. It was exclusive in its message that Jesus alone is Lord, but inclusive in the way it reached its arms out to others, all races, all classes. Judaism never quite escapes its racial bounds. Christianity in the early church, you see, glories in being a people for Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian, as Paul would say it. The philosophers of the time never really could win over the masses. But Christianity comes and it reaches people far and wide. And yet, it's sophisticated enough to appeal even to the educated. It draws the lowly and the unlettered. But yet it appeals and even develops a philosophy which commands the respect of many. So much so that schools are established in the early centuries based on Christian teaching. Christianity was for both sexes, men and women, whereas many of its rivals were primarily and exclusively for men. The church welcomes both rich and poor. 
even assuming that a poor brother could be the elder or pastor over a rich brother or sister. It welcomes the poor and the rich together. In contrast, many of the mystery cults of the time, the the gods and goddesses worshipped amongst the Romans, it, it required great means or money to be able to exercise that worship. Christianity says, come, rich or poor. No other religion took in so many groups and strata of society. This is what marks the the spread and the growth of the early church. Exclusive message, inclusive reach to all people. Christ is Lord. All are welcome to come to him. This this is how the church at Antioch begins to grow. This is how it's defined. And, And we'll see that as the church grows, it becomes known as a church that's generous in its giving to help those who are in need, like the church in Judea, as well as generous in its sending. It's the church at Antioch that will be the first church to intentionally send out its people to go to places where the gospel isn't. And, and through Barnabas and Saul, who will later be sent out in chapter 13, the gospel begins to spread throughout the Roman Empire. And people who haven't heard the name of Christ hear the name of Christ. And churches that didn't exist are established. The gospel spreads and God is glorified. This is the church at Antioch. A beautiful thing of what God is doing. The book of Acts, not all of it is is prescriptive as in this is exactly what you should do. Much of it is descriptive, trying to to work out and lay out what happened in the early church. I I love the historicity of it. You see the the famine. Uh, When Luke describes it, he says, oh, this this took place during the days of, of Claudius. Um, you, you see that this isn't just kind of pie in the sky, what they wish the church was like. This is like what God was doing on the ground. And so how do we go from, from Antioch to Ann Arbor? What do we take away from what God is doing here at the church at Antioch? I, I want to just give a few things uh, that, that I hope help shape our understanding of where we're headed as a church. Uh, and even along the way, speak to some things that we have ahead of us in this coming year. And the first thing is this. It's evangelism that gives birth to and grows the church. Evangelism gives birth to and grows the church. That's what happened at the church at Antioch. These believers come to Antioch, pushed out because of persecution in Jerusalem, and they're sharing the gospel. Now, if you're like me, when when I experience hard things and I'm forced to go somewhere else, I'm not thinking about anybody else, right? Like, I'm like... I'm disappointed, dejected that I've had to leave where I'm comfortable with. I'm upset, you know, that I, I shouldn't have to do this. You know, like there's all kinds of uh, thoughts and attitudes that I might have if I'm in the position of these believers. And, and ask yourself, how would you respond if you were in their position? What would you do? And, and when they get there, they begin to apparently build relationships and share the gospel. And, and we know, as I mentioned earlier, the intentionality required because they don't just go to those who it would be normal for them to go to, the Jews who were like them, but they go to those who are different than them ethnically and even religiously. So evangelism gives birth to, but it also grows the church. When Barnabas comes and teaches in verse 23, it says, when he came, he saw the grace of God. He's glad he exhorts them to remain faithful to the Lord and with steadfast uh, steadfast purpose. And in verse 24, it says a great many people were added to the Lord. So even more people are added. Evangelism establishes and evangelism grows the church. Look, look at these, um, these kind of truths that, that 
uh, I hope we can, we can kind of get our arms around as we think about evangelism. There's, and there's nothing more than evangelism in a prayer meeting that makes Christians feel bad, right? Um, there's just something about it. We're all aware of the need to do it more than we do. And, uh, and there's all these, you know, levers of guilt that are associated with it, it seems, when we talk about it. That's not my desire. That's not my goal. I don't think that's ultimately helpful. Uh, here's, here's what I want us to see. And, and, and I want to speak to something that we're going to be doing here in the, the coming month that I, I hope and I'm praying will help us continue to grow as a church. Uh, the first thing that I, I just want to point out is that evangelism isn't stifled or stopped because of opposition. Right? Actually, it's the opposite. Opposition is the occasion for evangelism. It's, it's the, the means by which God spreads the gospel to people who wouldn't otherwise hear it. So sometimes in our mind, we think opposition means red flag, stop, do something different. And no doubt we should always evaluate that our, our means aren't the offense rather than the message. But opposition doesn't equal the need to pull back. But God is at work through the opposition. And in fact, I would say boldness isn't the marching forward with unhindered opposition, but boldness is the willingness to be faithful even in the face of opposition. And God continually shows us what it looks like for the church to do this time and time again. I'm convinced that our, our strategies and our tactics for evangelism, as good as they can be, that we, we have to remember this point. That, that God is at work even in our suffering. God is at work even in opposition. And, and today, today is different than the day of Antioch. As Christianity rolls into town, it's a new message of a new Savior who's come. In so many ways, the message that we share today doesn't sound new to many people. It sounds old with a lot of baggage that they don't, they don't like. And so as we think about sharing the gospel, we can expect even more so that people are perhaps going to hear the message of the gospel, see the message lived out in our lives, and be offended by it because of some experience with a Christian or a church in the past. And what we need to do is to be a people who aren't just knee-jerk defensive and upset at somebody who opposes us, but who love people and who patiently pursue them even if they oppose us, seeking to point them to Christ. Evangelism isn't stifled or stopped because of opposition. Evangelism, though, also requires intentionality, as we see here. They, they're, they're spread out from Jerusalem because of persecution, but these men from Cyprus and Cyrene who show up in Antioch have to intentionally pursue those who aren't Jews. They pursue the Hellenists. If I could say it this way, I think evangelism is, is the intentional pursuit of people with the desire to make Christ known. It's the intentional pursuit of people with the desire to make Christ known, that they might come to know him and put their trust in him. It's not a strategy. It's not a technique. Evangelism is, is the mark of a healthy church. It's the, it's the overflow of what God is doing in us. There are, there are different tools that, that we will look at and perhaps uh, present that you can use, but, but evangelism at its heart starts with this recognition that we've experienced the grace of God 
and that we desire to make that known to others through meaningful relationships. So one of the things that we want to do in this coming year and in the next, within the next month, uh, we're, we're looking at um, a Friday night and a Saturday morning uh, evangelism training for us as a church. And, and this evangelism training will be focused on, on both the heart of evangelism as well as the, the how of evangelism coupled with resources that will uh, hopefully encourage and strengthen you as you think about the people and the places that God's put in your life. Here's, here's what I want you to do, though, before, before we get to, to that point. I want you to begin thinking about in this new year, where's one place in your life, one place that you want to invest your time and your energy seeking to be faithful to the Lord? Maybe it's within your home. Maybe it's within your work. Maybe it's a group of friends. Maybe it's a hobby that you have and people that are connected to that. Uh, maybe, maybe there's some place that you spend time at frequently. I just want you to pray that, that God would help you to be faithful where he's put you. To be faithful where he's put you. And then begin to pray about um, one or two people in that place that God might call you to, to pursue with greater intentionality in this coming year. Listen, I, I'm, not trying to, I'm not trying to tell you that this is how it's going to happen or tomorrow you're going to go and say, hey, it's the new year. Do you know Jesus? Like, you know, there's, there's <clears throat> all kinds of ways that that conversation may get started, but it won't get started if, if it doesn't start with prayer, if it doesn't start with you putting that before the Lord. I think sometimes... Um, when we hear this call to evangelism, we get so stressed out about all the different places possibly God might be calling us to do this or that. And if you're like me, when, when you have so many options before you, uh, one of the really valid options is just to do nothing, right? Um, uh, that's how I get when I try to watch a movie on Netflix, you know, like so many options and none of them, uh, you know, I always have this fear. It's like, I don't want to watch a bad movie. And this could be a bad movie, right? <laughs> Depending on who I know has watched it and what the reviews are. So sometimes I look around for movies for 20 minutes and then I don't watch a movie. There's so many options, I don't do anything. Like, I, I don't want that to be the case as we, uh, as we call our church to evangelism. I want us to, to begin to pray about one place, one to two people that God has put before us that we can faithfully pray for, love, pursue, live out our Christian faith before them and make Christ known to them. Evangelism gives birth to and grows the church, but then we also see that spiritual growth comes through God's word and identification with God's people. Spiritual growth comes through God's word and identification with God's people. This is what happens as the church is established. Barnabas comes and begins to teach the word, and we know that as they're called Christians, they, they, they have their... Um, their kind of uh, <clears throat> reputation, so to speak, within Antioch is marked by their identification with Jesus. This, this is a great picture of what discipleship and spiritual growth looks like for the church. So, so let's think about some, some priorities that, that we will have as we enter into the new year as a church. We will prioritize God's word personally and corporately. We, we want to be a people marked by God's word. We've put together, uh, we've kind of co-opted from um, another resource, uh, a Bible reading plan uh, that I think is accessible. It'll walk through the scriptures in a year. It's a five-day plan. It, it's not like 
based on the date, you know, January 5th or January 6th. It's day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, within week, within a week. And so uh, we put a resource out. You can get it on the resource table. Uh, we have a Facebook group that if you want to be a part of that, to be encouraged in, you can do that. Um, we're not like checking if you're going to do that, though, you know, there may be somebody on your way out to make sure you got, um, you know, your, your reading plan. Uh, but in all seriousness, we've put this Bible reading plan together because we want to prioritize God's word personally and corporately. We, we are a church that preaches through the scriptures because we prioritize God's word. We read from the scriptures when we gather because we believe that the most important voice that we need to hear on a Sunday morning isn't the person singing or the person preaching, but is the word of God. God's voice spoken to us, written for us. So we, we want to prioritize God's word. We want to be known by and characterized by Jesus. Look, this, this is what discipleship is about. Your life more like Jesus your life more like Jesus. Do you know what it means in part to make a disciple? It means to help some believer look more like Jesus, right? This, this is the, the call. We, we have, there's different kind of resources and approaches to, to personal disciple making. But at the heart, what it is, is you seeking to look like Jesus and you helping others look like Jesus. That's what we want to be fleshed out and worked out in our church. As a church in the new year, um, we are going to be providing some uh, equipped classes and courses, as they will be called, that, that are aimed at helping us as a church grow. Not just in knowing how to study the Bible, but in what the Bible says about a host of topics. Equipping men to grow. Equipping women to grow in discipleship. We'll be looking at uh, questions that, that are uh, lodged at Christianity and how to be able to articulate an answer to some of the most pressing questions about Christianity as you share your faith. We, we want to press into uh, to topics about, uh, about spiritual growth, about how to apply the scriptures to, to issues that no doubt will be on the forefront of many people's minds and conversations like politics and the new year. We want to allow God's word uh, to shape our topics that we're, we're discussing and, and issues we're facing in our life so that we can be a people characterized by Jesus, that we can look like him. We want to be a church marked by diversity. We see the church at Antioch coming into a diverse city and becoming a diverse church. How do you pursue diversity? You pursue diversity by intentionally building relationships. So, so here's what I want to ask us to do as a church. To be a church that grows in diversity is to be a church that intentionally pursues relationships with people who are different than you. On all scales. Our tendency is to pull away from people who are different than us. Even if it's just different based on interest and likes, let alone when it comes to cultural ethnic background or, or, or perhaps some other issue that, that divides us. Let's be a people who intentionally pursue relationships. That's what produces diversity. A willingness to, to welcome what God is doing and who God has brought among us. We want to be a church that is, is as diverse as our city, as a reflection of the gospel. And then we, while intentionally pursuing spiritual needs, we want to give sacrificially to meet physical needs. The spiritual growth of the church at Antioch resulted in them not only growing in their spiritual depth, 
but in them seeing needs around them and being willing to meet them. Look, this isn't, this isn't my call for meeting the 2020 budget or, or next year's Christmas missions offering. This is the, the general call and characteristic of the Christian life that, that we are to be marked by generosity, to be a people who are willing to give to meet real needs, real spiritual needs, advancing the gospel, as well as real physical needs. When the church at Antioch heard of a need of another sister church and believers throughout Judea, they wanted to give to meet it. Now, the church at Jerusalem was the mother church. Why is the church plant supposed to help the mother church? They, they didn't ask that question. They were marked by generosity and they were willing to give to meet real needs. This is a mark of the Christian life. So we see the spiritual growth that comes through God's word and identification with Jesus. And then I want you to just skip over to Acts 3 and we'll close with this, verses 1 through 3. We see that mission springs forth from dependence on God. Mission springs forth from dependence on God. When you get to Acts 13, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, such as I mentioned earlier, Barnabas and Lucius and Menean and, uh, and uh, Saul, as well as Simeon. They're, they're all here. And it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and they sent them off. Mission springs forth from dependence on God. The church, it doesn't say that the church had a mission strategy and that they were pursuing the Lord in order that he might bless it. It says that the church was regularly gathering to worship. The church was regularly practicing fasting, doing without food to seek the Lord. The church was regularly gathering to pray and seek God's face. And as they did this, as they lived out the expression of their dependence on God, God called them on mission. Here's here's what I want us to get as, as a church. When we are most aware of our need for God... When we're most aware of our need for God, we are best positioned to be used by him for his mission. When we're most aware of our need for God, we're best positioned to be used by him for his mission. So as we enter into this new year, what I want us to be marked by more than anything isn't just more spiritual activity. Hear me. I want us to be marked by more spiritual dependence on God. More praying more fasting, more worshiping, more seeking God's face, not so that he'll bless what we'll do, but because he's worthy. And as we seek him, that he might birth within our hearts a boldness to make him known, might he birth within our hearts a vision for how to be a part of his mission. And then all of this culminates, this mission culminates in a mission of multiplication. And multiplication happens through making disciples and sending people on mission. When Barnabas came to the church at Antioch, he goes to get Saul, who's a new believer that God is using mightily to to preach the gospel to, to many people in Tarsus. He brings him to Antioch and for a year develops Saul to be a teacher of God's word. And, and then it is Barnabas and Saul together that God calls the church at Antioch to send out, to go take the gospel to where it hasn't been before. This is a church 
that was committed to making disciples and sending its people on mission. And that's what happens as our, our, the president of our denomination of our convention says that multiplication is about measuring churches not by their seating capacity, but by their sending capacity. What would it be for us to be a church that sends its people, that makes disciples and sends people on mission? And, and the way that we do this is, is not only by, by sending people to be a part of church plants, but by making disciples right here and now. We multiply leaders, leaders of small groups, leaders of ministries, leaders to serve on our various teams, leaders to, to serve as, as pastors here at Treasuring Christ, to, to be servants as deacons and deaconesses. We multiply leaders and make disciples so that we can send people on mission, send them here in our context to be on mission, as well as out from Ann Arbor to be on mission whether it be sending through your job and your vocation or sending to plant churches or or going globally to be a part of what God is doing around the world. And so as we enter into the new year, what I want to put before you is is a call to to commit yourself to, to plug in even more intentionally in this new year. Plug into small groups as the place where meaningful relationships take place and discipleship is fostered. Plug into the opportunities. We're, we're going to be having a, a leadership training for, for potential small group leaders in the coming year and for, for small group hosts in the coming year. If you want to be a part of what God's doing there, we want you to, to plug in and take those opportunities for our discipleship classes and courses. See those as a place to grow and be equipped and, and understand that we want to raise up people to teach those classes and courses. Perhaps God might call you to a personal discipleship relationship this year that maybe once every two weeks or once a month you'll gather together with another believer to read through God's word and and help them to grow in the scriptures, to seek the spiritual good of another person, to help them look more like Jesus. That's the vision of, of multiplication that we want to take place, of disciples being made, of leaders being developed, of people being sent on mission. So this is the church at Antioch. And this is how we want to move from Antioch to Ann Arbor, to be a church on mission in 2020. Let's pray.